great blessing to welcome our church family here in Dallas to another Wednesday night gathering. We've had a, a really sweet time of intercession and um, then uh, somewhat of a, of a filibuster for the past 15 minutes or so that <clears throat> basically is a collection of my hijinks, which those of you who are tuning in from many different places, you've been spared that. So you should begin by rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, but we're looking forward to what the Father wants to say to us during this time. And we're primarily going to be uh, considering two passages of Scripture, but they're going to be um, surrounding a, a theme that I feel is, is more of a, uh, a, a realization that God has given me about this particular season. And in that realization, there's been somewhat of, a, of an explanation for some of the things that I know I felt and perhaps some of the things that you have felt in this pathway that the Father has put us on. <clears throat> and I do want to begin by uh, encouraging you to continue to pray uh, daily in the Spirit and set apart those times to, um, to seek after the heart of the Lord in, in, in unknown tongues, diversities of tongues, because it's so, it's so very important. And treasure the times during the night. Um, I had a rather unusual, I've had some really strange dreams that <clears throat> I've asked the Lord to really heighten my, my uh, the spirit of interpretation, the gift of interpretation, because uh, I, I truly know that <clears throat> for, the, for the, t the times that we're entering into, it's, it's not enough to simply be able to, to analyze dreams and take time studying them, even though we should do that. But there, some, of the, some of the things that you're seeing now are so intricate, and, and it's not as simple to be able to deduce the meaning of, of dreams. And I'm not talking about every dream, but just ones that you know God had to to bring to you so I release to this family here and to all of our saints family an, uh, an impartation of the spirit to be able to function more adroitly in the uh, in the interpretation of dreams the reception of them and then to know what to do with them I had a really unusual dream early this morning <clears throat> and I think I I set a record for times that I got up in the night praying I think five was usually two max uh, but last night there were five and <clears throat> I had this peculiar dream I'll just tell you about it as an illustration of what what I'm uh, what I'm talking about I found myself standing face to face to Ruth Bader Ginsburg who is on the Supreme Court and you know she's you know who she is she's a, a liberal from a liberal pursuit they've made movies about her they've lionized her you know RBG um, there was a film that was made this past summer about her and uh, she's uh, she's in her upper 80s I think she's 87 which is not old nowadays I mean it's 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 a lot older to the it's a lot closer to the end than it is to beginning but it's it's not really old but she has been ill and she's been battling cancer and apparently she went and had uh, uh, treatment on several tumorous growths on her pancreas recently but she just keeps plugging along and I think that <clears throat> she is determined to to live long enough to see who wins the next election um, or certainly not to to withdraw from the Supreme Court until she sees whether I guess the main thing is she doesn't want to give Trump another opportunity to, to fill a seat so I've had kind of mixed feelings about her you don't want to you don't want any malice or ill will to come upon anybody but 
you know, I've I've heard these things about her her physical health, and I've asked the Lord to bless her, but I've also asked for our country that things would happen the way they would. So being from a more conservative standpoint as I am, I don't need to detail what I'd really like to see happen, but the point is is that it's not like this has been, you know, Anthony Scalia or, you know, Gorsuch or somebody that's from so when I see her in a dream, I, I, the dream just starts, and there she is. <clears throat> and I have this feeling that I need to uh, protect her and that there are people that are out to, to either arrest or, or kill her. And so I take her to this, to this uh, little secluded area. It's like a little apartment. And I said, you wait here. And I gave her almonds to eat. And I, I told her, eat this. It will give you strength for what you need. Well, you know almonds, they represent wisdom. They represent <clears throat> people recognizing what's coming and being willing to partner with, to hear the voice of the Lord and to prepare themselves for what's coming. Well, the next thing that happened was I came, I went out and I came back in and I said, are you ready? And she said, yes. And I got her into a car and I took off and we were in this kind of a parking garage and I could see these guys dressed in black that were coming to get her. And they had blocked the exit to get out of this thing. So I zoomed past the exit and went through the entrance and got up into the, into the outside. And it was real pretty outside and knew I had to get her to, to an embassy, a place of safety. So I came through this, came to this big place. It looked palatial. And, and uh, I came through the gate, and the guy that was guarding the gate saluted me or her. I didn't know. I didn't care. And got up to the front door, and I said, okay, you're home now. You're safe. And then I woke up, and I thought, what in the world was that all about? This is just bizarre. And the only thing I could think, I don't know anything at all about her, her spiritual condition. I know nothing about that. But I did begin to pray that she's closer to the exit than she is to the entrance. And I asked God that he would give her wisdom and give her clarity about where she's going to spend eternity, not knowing anything about her spiritual condition. And I'm really not... I, you know that's not the topic of this session but and then i i did say lord you you didn't allow her to go in the way that she was supposed to exit you brought her back to the beginning and then you took her to a place of safety a place of welcome and i, I just have to believe that god is wanting us to 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 pray for her that she will she'll come to grips with the reality of life and not focus all her energies on the political standpoints here because those things in a couple of years for her are going to mean nothing and and I, so I just was praying for her today and releasing to her the wisdom of the Lord and commune with God and asking the angelic to go and minister to her and to speak into her life and to let her come into a place where she is right where she knows she's right with God and um, what an odd dream that was. What a really peculiar dream that was. And, and it was like the fourth time I had woken up in the night. And, you know, I'd prayed diligently the other three times. And I thought, Lord, this doesn't really have anything to do with spiritual warfare. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, some of the nations that I was seeing earlier in the night. And why am I putting this little teeny woman in a car and giving her, feeding her almonds and getting her safely into a, a place of, of refuge. And, but I, you know, I, I know that this is a significant thing for our country. Wouldn't it be great if she made some kind of public statement about meeting God and feeling that her life is, wouldn't that really be a a word in season into uh, all the little lefties that are 
idolizing her and all the me tooers and all the ones that are looking at her as some kind of a champion for her to say at this point in her life the most important thing is that you know you're right with god wouldn't that be a great testimony so anyway i just bless her and we we respect the position she's in and all that she's done in her life but uh that was just one of the the craziest most vivid dreams and and i i thought there were there were all these guys they were dressed in black and i thought they're they're gonna kill her and um and so i'm driving this car just really fast through this garage and then out through the entrance and it was just the weirdest thing and and so i i couldn't go back to sleep after after that and so i just prayed some more and um but those kinds of dreams and those kinds of spiritual <clears throat> things that god uses us in an intercession are going to become more and more um prominent for us and what uh, what the lord shared over the course of the past week about us as saints being representatives of his throne and individuals who are moving in the exousia, the authority of God, God is going to be using us for his will. And we, uh, we just have to be sensitive to view whatever happens, whatever spiritual encounter, whatever warfare, whatever uh, in, uh, uh, pathway God puts us on, we're going to have to view it from the fact that we're representing the right hand of the Father, the power of his throne, and he has given us as saints an authority, an exousia, to, to declare, to speak, and to proclaim. And I'm just, I don't know why I'm telling you all these personal things. I've been trying to process, uh, I've been trying to process how to incorporate this without using catchphrases. So during the prosuke times where I've been praying and before the Lord as a partner, uh, God would say something to me or clarify something that I needed to declare. And so how do you begin that, you know? Thus saith the Lord, or I declare, or I proclaim, or I call forth. I thought those are all old-timey phrases. I don't talk that way in normal life. I don't call forth anything. I don't go up to the window at Chick-fil-A and say, I call forth nuggets. You know, it's just not a phrase I use. So why would I whip out a King Jamesy kind of a thing? So I thought, what would be a good thing to call, call forth? What would be a good thing to welcome provision? So I said, Father, I was praying about something that we need here at the church. And I said, I requisition those funds right now. And I ask that they be sent immediately. I'm trying to get words that that I feel good about. So it's not just it's not just phrases that are tossed around, you know. And and I think we as Christians need to to really process our relationship with God on the basis of what we know from the word, but just in real terminology, not just because we heard somebody, some prophet say something or you know, oh, I like that. That's why all through the time I was growing up, anytime, just about any time, <clears throat> somebody would give an interpretation of a message of tongues, it would say either, yea, my people, or thus saith the Lord. And I thought, certainly, what if everything we ever said began with one of those two phrases? That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Just kind of goofy. Yea, my people. Is it going to rain today? You know, um, so I've been really trying to process how I de how I how I speak things at, on the basis of the authority that God has given, so that it is it is it 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 moves forth from me in a way that is endemic to who I am in the Lord, not just some canned phrase. And uh, it's that's the way in anything in life. I mean, you, you, you want to express as eloquently and as effectively from your own 
person, um, what you feel. And you don't want to be borrowing words from somebody else. Um, and, and certainly these, these phrases aren't magic. I mean, you, you, you speak them. Uh, <laughs> I remember one, uh, you know, when you go to Bible college and seminary, you, you, you get a flavoring of kids, many of who grew up in pastors' homes. I don't know whether he knew who they were or not. But, you know, and, and so these kids would come, and when you'd go out in ministry, they would all just, most of them would just echo the phrases they'd heard somebody else say. And in a way, it was kind of comical. And uh, there was this one big old kid that uh, was from Louisiana. He was from Monroe, Louisiana. And he got up one night uh, it's, it's this, in this choir that I was in, and his job was to, to minister about healing during one, in the middle of one of the songs. And so he gets up, and, I, you know, it was kind of funny to hear this kid anyway because he had such a Cajun accent. And, but he, he got kind of flustered, and he said he was telling about something that happened in, in his church back in Monroe, and he said, and I said to this woman three words, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> everybody starts laughing because they're not listening to what he said. They're doing the math. And one of his buddies says, that's five words, Mike. It's five words. <laughs> and that, that's a small thing. But, you know, it's, it's, he'd heard somebody preach one time when, with gusto that, and I just said, you know, how many words. And it preaches well, but at least you've got to do your math right. But, you know, it's, 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 it's really important for us as God is revealing things to you out of your prayer that you, you just speak it um, in a way that is effective, but in a way that you feel comfortable with, you know, don't wear Saul's armor. And, you know, wear the armor that God gave you. You use the sling and the stone that God gave you. But say it effectively. So you may want to process that a little bit. It's kind of fun to do with the Lord. And, you know, say, Father, when, when you want me to, to ask for this or you, you want me to, like, if, if you feel that God wants you to, release funds or to or to take authority over a certain thing you may want to just do a little work in a thesaurus and look at different different ways that you feel comfortable and effective in saying those things and then use those um, I, I tell you it 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 has a greater dimension of faith at least in my life to say something that I know I've generated from me as God has commissioned and, and enlightened something in my heart when I'm saying it with my words that I feel good about that I feel comfortable saying it it just is it's a it's a it's a more personal expression of faith and and a more a personal expression of the authority God's given me to say it in words that that I know are mine from the Lord rather than something I've heard somebody else say a hundred times or you know that to me that's Saul's armor and um, so you may want to just prepare a little bit for how God wants you to release things and <clears throat> you know just like that dream I, I mean there, in the past two weeks I've had I don't know how many dreams where I've come out of them and recognized that I didn't need to just interpret I needed to take ownership of that thing now, there are some dreams that I dreamed that I have no idea what was going on, and I recognize that's probably just some, some, some wind currents in my, in my own spirit. But there are some, like last night, that I thought there's no reason in the world that I would have dreamed what I dreamed. There's, no, there's nothing that I would be dreaming that about. And there are a lot of those kinds of dreams that are coming, and you need to recognize when it's an anomalous kind of a dream, when it's an anomaly, something that you normally wouldn't, you would know, look, this is unusual, and I know this is from God. 
press it. Don't just write it down. Don't just put it away for a time of research in the Word, even though you should do that. But know that you need to act upon that and, and, and speak into the framework of those things. And, uh, but, but I know God has, has really been quickening the, um, our representation of the power of the throne and the, the exousia, the authority of that. And, uh, you know, I, I had the privilege of kind of condensing the, the, the message from Jude from two Sundays ago and the, the word that we spoke last week about exousia, combining those in the French, one of the French broadcasts this week. And <clears throat> as, as we were speaking it, you could just feel the power of the Lord being released into those churches and the prayer groups and the people that are hearing that in Western Europe and in Africa. And I know that is a word for us for this, for this time frame. But this time frame has been really bizarre for me because it's, it's almost like for the past six or seven months, I felt somewhat of a lull. Now, I've been staying busy preparing for seminars and doing different things that you have to do in, in conjunction with these pockets of saints throughout the world. And, and working on some of the things that we're going to be presenting at seminar. But, you know, I've just not written books. I've not, I normally would be cranking it up and pressing myself to get things done. And I've just felt just a, a, kind of like the brakes being put on that. And it, it's been the weirdest feeling. It's, it's been a feeling almost like I'm failing the Lord but I know I'm not. It's a feeling like I should be doing, the, even though I've been busy doing other things, I should be doing this. I should be doing this. And it's, it's been uncomfortable. And I've asked the Father about it. I've said, Lord, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to fail you. Um, and, but, but I, but I want to really know what this, what this is. And the other morning when we got the rain, uh, was it was it yesterday? Yesterday, I got up early and uh, went outside and was waiting for the rain to come because I, you know me, I like the rain. And so I'm out in the dark waiting for the rain to come, and I could just feel these just real gentle breeze blowing, but it was there was a stillness. There was there was just a stillness, and the stillness gripped me. I mean, it just impacted me. And um, I, I started to pray, and I felt like the Lord was saying, this is what you've been feeling, a stillness before an outpouring. And, um, and as I prayed about it from yesterday through today, I thought of the verse about God saying that we are his goodly horse in battle. And that t teaching we did on honor and those two back-to-back -back sessions um, where the, the goodly horse has been trained in honor, imprinted by its master. And you reflect that imprinting, which is what honor is. You reflect that imprinting of the one that you serve. And I was thinking about a horse in battle and how, how you know, just from movies that I've seen uh, when horse, when cavalry was, was a really big thing. And... Um, you, you see all these horses, the battle would be going on or hadn't started yet, and those horses would have to wait no matter what noise, no matter what yelling, no matter what cannonade. Those horses would have to wait and be still and calm themselves until the master said, go. And I really feel that we've been in somewhat of a, a lull uh, and it's been a, a calm before a great release of the Spirit. And in that, God is testing our willingness to wait on Him. And it's, it's, it's that apostolic patience in, in a new way. And, you know, I was studying a lot about wait on the Lord, and I was seeing the various words that are used uh, from which the, the passages of wait on the Lord 
There's like three of them. You know, one is to search. Another is to intertwine, like the, like the threads being put together to make a strong rope. And I was, I was reading all these, and I thought, okay, that, that really is, that waiting on the Lord is something that always precedes, no matter how God is using you in that time of waiting. It is a waiting before there's something that comes. And usually, the only way we've interpreted those is when there's something we want him to do, like if we need a job or if we, if we need money or if uh, we're believing for somebody to be healed. And, and usually, usually, we view those passages about waiting on the Lord as if we're thinking, okay, Lord, how much longer are you going to take? You know, you really need this. Aren't you aware of what time it is? You know, we view it from a subjective standpoint or something that's in our lives. But really, when you are a saint and you're serving God and you are representing his throne, you are really, when you're waiting, you're waiting with apostolic patience for when God says go. It's not, it's not when are you going to deliver to me. It's when are we going to be breaking through? When is it going to, how long, O oh Lord? It's what those, those ones in heaven in the book of Revelation who uh, were in the altar with the angels of fire, and they're saying, how long, O oh Lord? And it's, it's more from a asking God for when his timing is going to be released. And, and I, I sense through this study that, we're in that season now. <clears throat> but there are two passages of Scripture that I wanted us to look at. Neither one of them are waiting passages, but it's the same principle. And the first one is um, in Psalm 46. Uh, this is a, uh, a psalm written to the sons of Korah, and it's a well-known passage. It's uh, verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. And it says, Be still and know that I am Elohim. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And um, I, I love this passage because in the first place, we're still being trained in walking with Elohim. Be still and know, yada, that I am Elohim. There's, there's a lot of conversation between you and the heart of God right now. And uh, this is good. God is all about the journey. And you're conversing with him. You're sharing back and forth with his heart. Is, 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 is not a means to an end. It is the objective itself conversation being trained by his heart to know that he is Elohim is what's happening in this time where we are being still and that's an important thing now the be still is interesting too because still is is the Hebrew word rapa r-a-p-a and it's the root of rofe which is healing and but this word rapa means to be slack to be faint to be uh, as weak as water. It's, um, it's, it's a word that every other time that it's used is you're being told not to do this. You're being told not to be faint. You're being told not to give place to weakness. You're being told to, to stand and be strong and don't do this. So it's very odd that in this passage, God is saying, be still. And secondly, this word is also used, and I wrote about this in that wholeness book, but this word is used for two other purposes. One is to speak about the passageway between life and death, and the other one is to describe the Rephaim, which were a large, tall people, like you could call them giants, but they weren't the giants. They weren't the Nephilim of the pre-Noahic flood. But these were like the Anakim. They were tall ones. And so you called, and those that uh, you call, use this word basically to describe your, the feeling of people 
when they'd see these giants or the feeling of people when they would encounter either what would be called ghosts or the break point into uh, the afterlife or the spirit realm. Now, for me, and, and that kind of can make people weak in the knees. If you're, if you're a warrior and you come up against a pack of giants, that can be kind of intimidating, and you might want to become as weak as water or, or to just go boneless, you know, and just go, go out. But um, for me, though, when you see that from this word healing comes, you're, you're saying in the healing that God is strengthening in you what perhaps has been failing you, what part of your body might be not strong but giving way. God is bringing to you vitality, not only in this life but in the spirit realm, and no matter how big the giant, God is equipping you so that you will be an overcomer and not one who demonstrates weakness or demonstrates uh, ineffectiveness against the giants you will face. So it's a very interesting term. It's a very interesting word. But like I've said, every other time this word is used in the Old Testament, just in a, in a, in a physical way, um, it's it's commanding the people not to be this way and god wouldn't want when you're facing the enemy as a giant uh the giants in the enemy camp not to dissipate and run away or when you face the spirit realm not to get weak need and you know act like you don't know what you're doing god doesn't want you doing that so why would he say here be still in a proactive command and know that I'm God know that I am Elohim well I think it it's more of a description of when Elohim is bringing you into his heart and he's talking to you and he's really preparing you you look at the verses um, before he makes wars to cease under the ends of the earth he breaks the bow cuts the spear in sunder he burns the chariot in fire the lord of hosts is with us behold the works of the lord look at the desolations he's made in the earth uh, there is a river the streams thereof make glad the city of god god is in the midst he shall not be moved god will help her that's really breakthrough warfare victory verses and then here you roll into this in the in the consideration of all of that when they're supposed to be singing this in the tabernacle be still and know yada that i am elohim and I, I i see two things in this i think god is saying to us okay you just really need to concentrate on knowing me right now Know that there are great victories all around and know that I've prophesied tremendous breakthrough and things that are coming. But right now, I want you before me, not before the enemy, not before the giants in the land, not before the spirit realm, but before my heart to make yourself as, as sensitive and as vulnerable as you can. And that's, that's the most important thing that we can do. Um, God wants us to know his heart so that we can represent it. And the only way we're going to do that is, is by dying to self, laying ourselves down, and committing ourselves to his heart to hear him speak and to hear him instruct us. Now, I want to clarify that because when I say to hear him speak, immediately what a lot of people who hear think was, well, I don't ever hear God. And so they, they then go down on a, a downer kind of a thing and as why don't I hear from God? He speaks to people and I don't. And Johnny has a new pair of shoes. I'm wearing these old things. And then down you go just proclaiming that you are you're one of God's stepchildren somewhere. And by, by hearing God's voice, what I mean is to be sensitive to the things he brings to you, 
to reflect on them and then you speak to him from your heart don't try to impress him religiously ask him questions and the way he will bring insight to you is going to come through many different channels it may not be a thus says me to you moses it may not be that it might be he might send an angel to speak something to you he may not it may just be some something that dawns on your understanding and you think oh yeah that's that's great god has lots of ways that he speaks and communicates to you and the most prolific ways are often nonverbal. So when I say God speaks to you, just know that every one of us has ways that we can receive from him. But to hear from him, you're going to have to lay it down. And you're not supposed to lay down before the enemy. You're not supposed to lay down in the presence of the spirit realm. You're not supposed to run away only before him and i think that's interesting that this word is used in this way when all the other places you're not supposed to do this but the one place you are supposed to do it is before the god that can send his river and bring great victories in battle and destroy the encampments of the enemy god says in the midst of all of that where he could have said be still and know that i am Yahweh he says be still and know that I am Elohim so lay it down and listen to him and and know him and boy oh boy this has been that that one understanding this calm before whatever it is that God's going to do it explains so much to me because again like I said earlier I've just about this time in seminar and again i've been busy but not the things that for 30 seminars or so i've done every time where i'm just working on outlines and writing and trying to do this and trying to do that and getting frustrated and then picking it up and doing it a few more hours it's weird not to do that and it's almost like when i relax in that way i feel guilty i feel like i'm supposed to be doing that and then i start asking myself you know, is it just that you're tired of doing this and you don't want to do it? And I know that, you know, somewhere in Ronnie, that's true. But the majority of it is I've got outlines for books. I've got half-written books. I've got all kinds of different pockets of, of uh, flow patterns. So it's not like I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do that. I've got it all there, but God's saying just lay it down. And there are other things where this be still is happening areas that are important to me while i'm busy doing things that have to be done for the seminar um for for who i am and who i know i am i'm i'm being asked to lay down crucial parts of my identity and what i've come to know is my responsibility and i'm thankful for this verse and i'm thankful for the things that god was saying about the calm before the storm and the waiting on God, the anticipation of what's coming, the patience, the waiting, that it's, it's, those are partnership words before God does anything. And you think, the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church was that way, you know, and not everybody was willing to do it. There are upwards of 500 people that watch him descend, to watch him to ascend into the clouds outside of Bethany. And Many of them were doubting, the Bible says. And so out of that 500 or so, what was left just a few weeks later was 120. But they tarried. They waited. They were in one accord waiting for the promise of the Father. See, before God does any major thing, there's going to be a time, not just of watching the clock, and thinking, oh, if I just prophesy into it a little bit more, it'll come. Or if I just know that right verse to fling in, that'll unlock it and watch out, borrow the door, here it comes. Well, you're waiting. Apostolic patience, the first sign of a true message from God. There always has to be a waiting 
and a submission and a being still before the, the, the flow comes. And that goes against everything that we are as humans in our human planning. You know, if you know something's coming, you get busy. You start being prepared. That's just normal. So for God to say, all right, I'm able to do this. I'm going to do it. So you just lay everything down. You just become as water. You just don't. You just don't. That's weird, isn't it? But that's to know the heart of God. Now, I also wanted us to look at 1 Kings chapter 19, a very famous passage about Elijah. We're going to look at it perhaps from a different perspective other than what we, um, we have taught. Not to say that what we've taught has been wrong. It's not. The, the things God has shown and the things we've put forward have been truths from this. But 1 Kings chapter 19, this is after Elijah had defeated the, the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. The abundance of rain came. He went and uh, heard a, a word from Jezebel. How he heard that, he must have had his, uh, must still when he, before he went into the wilderness, he still had signal on his iPhone, so he knew what Jezebel was saying against him. And uh, he, he went to sleep under a juniper tree. Juniper tree is kind of funny. I don't know if you've ever researched what a juniper tree is, um, but it's kind of like an evergreen, and they used, they used a juniper tree for, for um, brooms. Uh, they, would take, they would take a branch, and you know the way that is. It was fragrant, but it also, I guess, could sweep out things. But then they would use that wood very often, that type of wood, for um, the crossbar of uh, a yoke of oxen. I think that's interesting. But Elijah's there. He's under that. The angel kind of strikes him and says, here, eat this food, and he eats some food. And he goes back to sleep, and the angel whacks him again. And if you look, it says touch, and it could mean any kind of thing, uh, to be shaken roughly or to even be jostled. I think the second time the angel probably gave it a little more gusto and says, okay, you gotta, got to get up and eat because for the next 40 days you're going to be traveling and you've got to get up to this mountain, which is kind of interesting. And it may have taken half the time. I don't think Elijah really wanted to go if you hear anything in his words. But this passage, verses 9 through 12 of, of 1 Kings 19, um, he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Yahweh passed by. Now look at these two things. Look at it from this perspective. A great and strong wind rent the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now this speaks to me about the progression, voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquake. You know, everything begins with a voice. The wind would represent the voice. And, and the end of that is an earthquake. But God isn't found in the doing of that. You're partnering with him. But, but that is kind of, you know, Elijah's words were powerful. Uh, they, they did break mountains. They did break strongholds. And it did bring about a quaking. Things were not the way they were before. The hold of Jezebel was resolutely broken by those encounters that had just happened. The rainfall that came signaled a season of change. After three and a half years of drought, spiritual warfare had been done. So that is the first thing God showed him. The second one is after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. What does fire represent? Judgment and burning. And after the fire, 
a still small voice. Now, if you look at the seven spirits, on the one end of the spectrum, you have judgment and burning. On the other end is truth and sonship, where the sons gather, where they're reflecting on what God had done, and they were looking forward toward what God was wanting to do. I think that's what's shown here. And that's why when this still, this quiet voice, the voice means the small is not contrite, but it's to be beaten very thinly, to, to have a veneer almost. So you have this quietness, this resolve, this calming word that is just paper thin, broken down to the, the residue of meaning. And at that point, Elijah wraps his large mantle around his head and stands at the door of the cave. I think it's very interesting that God had done something through him. Yahweh had done something through him, through his words, through his intercessions, through his voice that broke the mountains, that brought an earthquake, and that's where he was. And then the fire of judgment and burning, Ahab and Jezebel were still being dealt with, anointing of a king in Syria, the rise of, of Jehu, the welcoming of Elisha, those things were going to be coming. And what Elijah really needed to do was to look forward into the new as a son and to remember what he'd been called to do, but to, to look forward. And in that looking forward, there was a stillness. There was a shutting off of everything else, not wearing your mantle, but basically putting it putting it around your head. It was dormant. It, there was a time to reflect upon what God was saying, what God was wanting to do in the future, and the still small before the real breakthrough to come was what Elijah was facing here. And, um, you know, we've talked about the Elishas that are coming. Many of them are, are already coming. It's interesting since God spoke that, I guess it was a couple of years ago, how many bands of Elishas have already been coming? An entire nation of Elishas, you know, young people. Um, you know, so many of them are coming, but it's just the trickle of what is yet to come. Um, but we're standing on the precipice of one of the greatest breakthroughs. And, and I, I feel that the Lord is saying, be still and know my heart. And he's saying, as you reflect on what has happened through your intercession to bring you to this point, now I need you to be still again. Consider the fire, but consider that you're a son and look into the future. But you've got to be still before me because what's coming is coming. And, and you know, interspersed in the midst of this is, you know, we've talked about this. What Elijah said twice, good Lord, haven't we felt aspects of this? You know, they've forsaken the covenant. <laughs> they've thrown down altars that we built, or dare I say deconstructed them. They've, um, they've, they've tried to eradicate the prophetic stance that has been around. And uh, here we stand almost feeling in some of having the feeling that we are alone. We don't have enough. Isn't that, you know, you look at our nation, you look at the world, you look at even our network, and that, that feeling is there. But I would say that that might also be an indication of what happens before God moves in a mighty way. God prophesied about the move of the end time, and he said, before the coming, there will be a great falling away. That's a scripture. The Bible says that, um, that there will be, before God comes in a, in, a, in a great move, there will be deceptions, there will be seducing spirits, there will be things that God gives people over to 
before the move. It says that judgment must first begin in the house of the Lord before the real igniting of his fire happens from the church. And so you're going to feel these things. But the key point is to look at where we are and to recognize that once again before the great outpouring, there's the command to be still. Yeah, you have to process those feelings. You have to process the things that you've deduced and felt. Some of them very painful in the natural. But we're in this world and not of it. And we have to be still and know his heart. And we have to be still and be ready to hear him and to do what he says as we go forward into the new. Being still, the calm before the storm, the waiting, the tarrying, is not from a childish perspective. Well, when are you going to do this, God? I thought it would have happened before now. We're not getting any younger. You know, it's time to go. You know, we're, we're, we're hanging in there, Lord. But, you know, it would really be nice if you got to move on. You know, not that kind of thing, which is too often how we view waiting or patience. We don't like it. This is proactive stillness. It's proactive, anticipating what God's going to do as his goodly horse. And so if we embrace that moment, if we embrace that biblical truth, if we embrace his season and turn it to something that is a partnering, knowledgeably recognizing some of the things that God's doing and some of the things we're feeling and instead of having a bunch of questions and angst, turn that proactively and pour it into God. That's one of the best, most important lessons of sonship we'll ever learn. But again, it just doesn't, God's ways are not man's ways. It doesn't make any sense to come up to the line of battle, to come up to the thing that's prophesied to come up to the great outpouring, the former and the latter rain, to come up to any of those things, and God says, okay, you know, I've told you to be strong and to not faint and to not become as water and to not lay down your weapons, but you stay strong and vigilant. Right now, before all this stuff, I want you to lay it all down. And I want you to become as nothing before me. And I want you to hear what my heart's saying. But, 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 Lord, you know, it's coming. This thing is coming. Yes, you tarry. You wait upon me. That's such a weird thing in the natural. But it is endemic to every time God moved. When he really moved in power. Epic-like visitations. There's that season, the calmness before the storm. There's that waiting, that calm waiting. When everything in you wants to react, respond, prepare, gird up, that's a very interesting thing. Now, when you're going to war, when you're going into an activation, when you're going into a time of ministry, usually you better get prepared. Usually you better gird yourself up, get your armor on, get your things ready. Make up your sermon titles, you know, get those things going. But before a mighty visitation, you, you wait on the Lord. You be still because that's what he requires. That's what he does in sonship. That's the heart of truth and sonship. It's, it's an incredible thing. So I'm very thankful um, if I see Ruth Bader Ginsburg tonight again, I'll, I'll tell her about this. But um, the, um, maybe one of you will see her tonight. <laughs> Don't be scared. Uh, so I'm very grateful to the Lord for this realization because it's been like a balm to me. Um, because the stillness and the waiting can can feel for all the world like something's wrong and it can feel like man you better scramble and get out and find something that's working but it's God's way 
before a mighty move, a mighty visitation, and that's really where we are right now. So I'm thankful to the Father personally, and I'm, I'm also thankful to be able to release this to all of you. So in the, in the minutes, just a couple of minutes we have left, what do you do about this? Well, I would definitely suggest that you respond to the Lord and thank Him for what's coming, and tell, just tell Him, you say, well, how, how do I lay myself down? Do I just go on a work strike, or what do I do? Just tell him, on the basis of the word, I want to be this before you. I want to hear your heart. I want to, to give to you what you require in this season. I want, to, I want to know you. Just express that to him. You don't, have to, you don't have to do it just perfectly. He'll know your heart. And um, that's really all he wants, and he'll guide you. But I, I do think we need to embrace this and do it before him because it's so important for, for, what's, for what's coming. And, you know, why was Elijah? This is kind of weird, too. Now, I know he'd outrun a chariot, but he sure as be sleeping a lot under this juniper tree. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why is he sacked out under this tree? And then an angel of all things has made him food and wakes him up. The angel's there. The food's there. He eats it, and he goes back to sleep. Well, how did you, who would do that? You wouldn't do that, would you, Debbie? You'd have a lot of questions for that angel. But Elijah goes right back. In some ways, perhaps his spirit was registering that he needed to be still before God. But his emotions and his mind and spiritual opposition triggered a physical response of just giving up. Boy, I felt that. There have been several times over the past few months where I've just been exasperated spiritually, looking for an answer, not really understanding this principle, which is kind of a good thing because you do and then you teach. So the fact that the Lord's speaking about this tells me that we're nearer to the end of this thing than we were to the beginning. But there are some times where I just, I just sit and I think, I just don't feel right. You know, I, I don't want to do anything. You know, when, when, when I don't know what to do, usually I try to maneuver. But I just didn't feel like doing anything. Not all the time, but just a few times. And I can remember just not doing anything. Just sitting in my office in there reading the Bible. And that's a good thing to do. So I'm not indicating that that's pointless. But just thinking, I really haven't done anything. I don't feel like doing anything. I'll just read the Bible. And I felt awful about that. So I see Elijah sleeping under this tree, and I think that has to be, in some odd way, an indication of the perplexity of this moment. I'm telling you, we face just about every one of these things in our own endemic circumstance. We face just about all of these things. But what God really wants is that still, small moment with us. Be still and know. And so it's a relief to me to recognize that these are spiritual conditions that precipitate and welcome a mighty move. But it sure feels awkward. It sure feels weird. And, uh, but if you, if you can recognize that this is what God's doing, things come into place, and then you offer it to the Lord instead of griping to the Lord about it in your ignorance or in my ignorance. So, Heavenly Father, I proclaim a great sense of thankfulness to you for your word because it sure does speak to us at all times and I ask for this church this wonderful family that you've surrounded us all with here and for the the extended family that's so dear to us in so many nations in so many cities I release the vitality of this moment of this season of anticipation of the great move that you have prophesied is coming. May we embrace the moment. 
lay ourselves upon the altar of your heart and hear and listen, remembering what you've called us to do, remembering what you've called us to be, not laying that down, but resting it in you and waiting upon you. For the time of visitation is near, and this waiting and this commune with you is oh so important and oh so vital to our relationship as sons with our Father. So I bless this people. Use them. Use them. And we thank you for it. And Lord, I've mentioned this. Whatever you want to do in this Supreme Court justice that you showed me so vividly in this dream, we, we just agree that you're going to touch her life and that you're going to have an encounter with her. And I pray that she'll have the wisdom to respond properly. And um, I know that that will happen. We declare that in Jesus' name. And we thank you for this time. We love you, Lord, and we ask it all. In, in your name, again, amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here, and uh, thanks for tuning in. May God bless you all, and we will see you soon.